All right, we're in Acts chapter 6 tonight, if you've got your Bibles. Acts chapter 6. I don't know about you, but I love that stuff. Honey. Isn't that good? That's my honey, by the way. I'm not offering it to anybody. But uh, I love honey. And I one of the fascinating things that that if you ever want to study something fascinating in nature, start studying up a little bit on bees. They're pretty amazing. Uh, bees demonstrate tremendous teamwork uh, as they make this our, the final product of honey. You know on hot days, about half of the bees stay inside the hive, beating their wings while the other half are outside gathering pollen. Because of this, the temperature inside the hive is about 10 degrees cooler than it is on the outside. That's right. Air-conditioned beehives. Imagine that. The bees then rotate duties uh, so that the, one, the bees can be in a cooler hive one day, and then the next day they're gathering honey. They do that off and on. Now, to satisfactorily do the work of God in the local church, we need to work together to solve problems, to share responsibility, to reach people for Christ. That being said, the devil is constantly trying to divide inside the local church. He wants to do as much as he can to cause divisiveness inside the body of Christ. But God's word emphasizes the importance of cultivating and maintaining unity within the body of Christ. Psalm 133 verse 1, the Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is, for brethren to dwell together in unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This message tonight, we're going to focus on the early church's response to a divisive situation. This, uh, their their uh, solution included the cooperative teamwork of godly men within the church. And we're going to just look at it, look at the situation, and try to apply that to our modern day uh, church that we go to today and, and see if we can learn something from it, okay? Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. One of the things I love about, uh, one of, I, I've always said my favorite service really probably is Sunday evenings because we can just, uh, I like to go into the workings of the local church. Most of the time when I preach on Sunday night, it's somehow connected with the local church and I enjoy that, looking at that. It's one of my obsessions, obviously, uh, being in a local church because uh, I, I am passionate about having a local church family that works together accomplishing a common purpose. Amen? Uh, I hate it with all, all I have in me when we are involved. Sometimes you go to a church or sometimes it's even in our own uh, midst where you have divisions and schisms and it just cogs up the machinery for everything. And so we want to be working together for that. Let's start reading verse number uh, 1 of Acts chapter 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multitude, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, which we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paremus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed 
they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I want to preach tonight on teamwork makes the dream work. Father, I pray you'd help us for the next few minutes here. No doubt we will talk about things that are very applicable to our current uh, times that we are serving in this local church. And may it be a help to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the first five chapters of Acts, the local church, the early church we call it, was on fire. They're working on relationships, caring for others. They're working uh, underneath the new filling of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. They're exercising generosity to those in need. They're remaining faithful in the face of opposition. But by the time we get to chapter 6 now, the congregation has grown to thousands of people. This really, truly is the first mega church that we find uh, we find in the book of Acts. Their gospel impact was expanding. But then what happens in growing churches always starts to happen here. Uh, the devil steps in. There's a schism. There's a problem. There's a, uh, there's a challenge that comes from within. And by the way, I don't think that churches nor nations are destroyed from the outside. They are destroyed from the inside. We see that throughout history in nations, and we also see it in churches. Uh, do you remember all the intense persecution from Nero and others in the beginning of the early church? You know what happened to the church? It grew like crazy because attacks from the outside don't kill God's church, but attacks from the inside can cause much damage. And so the gospel here was expanding, and they started to see these problems, a problem surfaced in the church. How the Christians dealt with it could determine the future of the success of their movement. And can I tell you tonight, how we deal with problems at Bible Baptist Church will determine the success of our future as well. It's a very important thing that we want to get a handle on. We will look tonight at details of their problem, but mostly I want to focus on the solution. Uh, today as then... We need teamwork among God's people. We need men and we need women who come from different backgrounds, who have different upbringings, working together in harmony. That is a probably a unique thing to the local church. There's uh, how we come from such different backgrounds, different, er different interests and all those things, but yet we're thrust together in a body working together for the cause of Christ. Of the seven that were chosen here, we know... Stephen is the first martyr. We read about him uh, in uh, Acts chapter 7. Uh, we also, uh, talking about how he, he was martyred. We also know Philip as the church's first missionary. We know very little bit uh, about Procurus. We don't know anything about the remaining four. But we do know that in this situation here, they got the job done. And I want to look at three different byproducts or products of biblical teamwork. Number one, Teamwork produced a decisive remedy. Until natural friction develops, uh, well, I should say when natural friction develops, this is going to be the test of a team's strength. This group of Christians uh, saw a need as an opportunity to draw closer together, not to drive a wedge and drive themselves apart from each other. And I love this attitude. When we have an issue... It can strengthen us or it can divide us. And it ought always to strengthen us, not to divide us. I like this statement. I don't know who made it, but I, I'm going to claim it. <laughs> when I becomes we, then illness can become wellness. Pretty good, isn't it? Uh, we are, we, it ought always to be we, not I. 
Look at the need in verse 1. Those days when a number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. There are two Jewish subgroups in Jerusalem in this congregation. There were the more traditional, strict Hebrew Jews. That's who's referred to as the Hebrews here. Secondly, there's a more progressive Greek influence, and they, they were called Hellenist Jews. And as the needs of the poor, specifically the widows in this congregation, uh, they were started, they felt that they were being neglected. The Hellenistic Jews questioned the fairness and uh, of the whole situation and how they were distributing the resources. They felt that the Hebrew Jews, who were in charge of charity, were discriminating against their widows. Now, we're not told, and this is important, we're not told in Scripture here whether this was a legitimate excuse or just a product of perception. Do you know why we're not told that? Because it does not matter. When it comes to problems in the church or in a family, perception is reality when it comes to division. It doesn't matter whether it was a real problem or an imagined problem. If it's a problem, it's a problem, and it needs to be dealt with. And so many problems in the church have really nothing to do with reality but the perception that someone has, a misunderstanding or something they misheard. The problem is just as real and just as destructive no matter what category it falls under, perception or reality, and it needs to be dealt with either way. One thing is clear in this situation. The apostles were not going to allow uh, this, that them murmuring to continue uh, or their murmuring to continue without addressing it. They were going to take care of the problem. Interestingly, there is no significant debate where the fault lays because, again, it doesn't matter where the fault lies. People that start to blame are going to get in trouble. Robert Anthony said, when you blame others, you give up the power to change. Deciding where the fault lies is looking backward. Uh, forgiving and moving on is looking forward. Either way, the problem needed to be solved. And murmuring and complaining is never God's preferred response to problems. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. Your murmurings are not again. I'm sorry. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. It always displeases the Lord when people complain. The word murmur in its, and, and its various forms uh, appears t 40 times in the Bible. Not surprisingly, not one of those times is mentioned with a positive context. It's always against God. Moses told the ungrateful Jews after their deliverance from Egypt in Exodus 16, 8, your murmurings were not against us, but against God. And usually they are. So we then next see the responsibility of the believers. When problems arise, and they will, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is never to complain or to murmur, but to take the problem to those who are part of the solution. Let me give you the difference between resolving and gossip. Gossip is taking the problem to someone who can do nothing about it. And you talk about it, you, uh, you, you both of you can uh, hash it out, but if neither one of you can do anything about it, that's gossip. That's not getting anything done there. Solution is taking the problem to someone who can solve it. Matthew 18 defines that person as the one the problem is with. Amen? So I have a problem with Alan. Uh, which I constantly do, uh, just kidding. I don't call other people and talk about it. I call him and we talk about it and we work it out, okay? Verse 2 says, The apostles called the multitude of the disciples unto them. They had served the Lord together. They had suffered for Christ together. Now they would solve a problem together. There's two lessons that we can learn when we look at this scene here. As long 
lesson one, as long as there are human beings in the church, there will be problems. It's just a matter of fact. It's a joke that we as preachers sometimes say, and I hate it, that's why I never say it, but I've heard it many times. Uh, if I had no people, I'd have no problems. I'd hate to have no people. I, I like people. I like having people around. The more people, the more I like it. So, But there is some truth to that statement. If you're going to have people, you'll have problems. One, my pastor, the first, first pastor I served under, uh, told me, he said, never forget in ministry that people will always people. And people will people because they're people. As long as there are spirit-filled leaders and members in the church, there will be solutions. That's lesson number two. Problems will arise. There's no question about that. But when humble people come to honest leaders with a genuine need, a solution is sure to be near. Let me give you a principle that I have seen to be true over and over. Spiritual Christians make potentially big problems smaller. Carnal Christians make potentially small problems bigger. And so put, categorize yourself there because if we are spiritual, we're following Christ, we're following the Holy Spirit, we, will, we won't magnify problems. We'll try to take care of them. When there's a grievance between believers, Jesus taught us to make the situation right. In Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. In Matthew 18, Jesus explained to his followers that it is their responsibility not to run and to hide, not to whisper in a corner to somebody else about a difficult situation, but to go to them, he said. Go to them. The idea is to go to the one that can resolve the situation. Look next at the priority of the apostles. Look at verse number 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. This explains the heart of the leaders. Now the apostles make very clear did not look at the ministering to the widow's benefits as beneath them. Let's make that uh, clear, first of all. They simply came to a common sense conclusion here. There's no point for them to leave their calling for a task that others are willing to do and able to do. Uh, all men and women in the church should pray. I think we can all agree with that. Amen? Uh, many share in the ministry and the word. But there are certain God-called men who have been set aside to give their lives to the teaching and preaching in the church. Uh, Pastor Nick and I just attended a couple of days of Minister's Heart Conference, and one of the things that they really drove home in one of the discussions we had was the idea of delegation. And this is uh, what they said that I thought was so good. Delegate to others anything they can do so you as the pastor can do the thing that no one else can do. That's a really a, a good principle of Scripture, and that's what they did here. It's not that this is beneath us. We need to get somebody We need to take some, uh, get somebody that can take care of this small problem because this is beneath us. We are preachers. That's not the idea at all. Uh, they were re recognized their calling was to be in the Word and uh, in prayer and in ministry, and so they delegated to someone who was able and willing to help in this situation. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. Be thankful for those who labor in the word and doctrine. Be grateful to those that bring the word of God and attribute to your growth. But get involved in what you can do. Amen? All of us should be able to do that. I love the, we have some great servants, uh, hearted people in this church uh, running, doing things like the treasurer, uh, the uh 
financial secretary, a church secretary, nursery. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, two places I would not want to go to, Kuwait and the nursery. Amen. Uh, I'll do anything else, but those areas I'd like to stay away from as much as possible. Uh, praise the Lord for people who are involved in that. You are every bit as important as people in the pulpit. I'm telling you, because it's all a part of the work of God. The apostles then uh, looked at a practical solution. Uh, they, in verse number three, they sensed a workable solution, and it was simple. Find other godly, gifted men who could look after the responsibilities within the church. First Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The congregation, by the way, gave unanimous approval to this. It says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Secondly, I want to look tonight at teamwork produced divided responsibility. Dividing the responsibility within the local church is not just a good solution to a particular problem. It's God's plan for every local church. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. God has prepared and equipped each of his children for a unique role and function within the local church. I'm going to say that again because it's you that we're talking about and me. He has prepared and equipped every single one of us for a unique role in the local church. Read with me starting verse number 4 of chapter 12. For as we have many members in the body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of the faith. We ought to be working together as different members of the body. He also talks about uh, the hand and the eyes and the ears having different ministries, uh, different jobs. That's a that's a given. We all have. And and does uh, does the ear then get upset because it's not the eye? I'm therefore not of the body because I'm not the eye. That's ridiculous. Our body works together for these things. Molly, you a good catch? Can you catch stuff? Well, you're going to try tonight. I'm just just a mint. It's not going to hurt you, but I want you to catch it. Okay, catch it. That was the throw. That was my fault. Pick it up because that's going to drive me nuts as it sits down there all night. I'm a big picker-upper. I'm always constantly picking stuff up, so thank you for that. Not your fault, but mine. Here's the illustration. When I toss mint to her, lots of things happen in her body to catch that or not to, depending on the thrower, right? Uh, the brain, the brain sees, or the eyes, I should say, see something coming towards you. It sends a message to the brain activate hands, and the brain then sends through the nervous system a message to the hands, and the hands then come up, and all of this coordinates together to make a single kit. Lots of things are working together to buy. Now, what if one part of that goes on strike? The eye says, no. I don't get to be a hand. I'm not helping. Or the hand, nope, I'm not an eye. I'm done. I'm done getting dirty. Eyes never have to get dirty. i got to get dirty all the time, so I'm not going to be involved in this one. That's not... Your body's not going to work if one part of it revolts. Well, Paul likens the local church to a body. We all have different jobs. We all have different, we all have different gifts. All right? I'm glad that, that, uh, my, that I have eyes, amen? Uh, and just because my eye is not my ear, I'm glad one of them doesn't revolt and go against. So I'm, we understand that we are all members of the body, and this is where teamwork comes in. 
I'm not only concerned about uh, the message on Sunday morning behind this pulpit. I, that's a major part of my concern, but I'm also concerned about the Sunday school and, and the children's church and the teen ministry and the missions ministry and the ladies ministry. We ought to be invested in the body as a whole. This is teamwork. And we ought to recognize that whatever role I carry in the local church, I'm contributing to the body as a whole. We have someone that all he does is mow lawns. We have other people who clean the bathrooms. Uh, that's not necessarily a glamorous job, is it? Cleaning bathrooms. But I'm glad the bathrooms are clean when we had first-time visitors this morning. And if they go and use our restroom, I'm glad if it smells somewhat fresh. Amen? And uh, it's clean. Uh, those things matter. They do. And so every area matters in the local church. And it damages the whole body if we... Only if one part of the body revolts and doesn't do their part, it damages the whole. It is God's plan for all of us to accept and carry responsibilities within the church. Now, I ask you tonight, are you ready to be entrusted with a ministry responsibility, whatever that might be? Are you invested in the whole? Now, what characteristics qualify us? You say, preacher, how do I know if I'm ready? Well, here we go. Give you some qualifications to see uh, if you are ready. Number one, it should be a sincere work. Look at what they, they said here. Pick us uh, men, um, verse 3, of honest report, a, a sincere work. These are genuine people. They're not hypocrites that we're looking for. Uh, these are men who not only talk the talk, but they also walk the walk. They are to be godly men, known for their integrity and genuine sincerity. A good report is what the Bible gives as a last qualification as an office of a pastor. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. We don't know very much about first century uh, Christian Demetrius that's talked about in the Bible, but look at what John wrote about him in 3 John 12. Demetrius hath a good report of all men. What a testimony, a good report. There should be a sincere sincerity. And then a spiritual walk. Next they said, uh, fill, uh, full of the Holy Ghost. These men were to be Holy Spirit filled under his control. As we learned in Acts chapter 4, the fullness of the Spirit is found when one connects with God, when he is obedient to the Lord, uh, through daily Bible reading, through prayer, uh, yielding his life to the Spirit's control. A Spirit-filled man is one whose temper is controlled. His words are measured. His thought life is pure. His motives are uh, noble. His walk is steady. He's not simply doing just enough to get by. He's receiving divine abling to be a better man than he could have ever been on his own. That's the idea of someone full of the Holy Ghost. Turn, if you will, next to Galatians. You should be very familiar with this if you've been coming to church on Sunday mornings uh, for a while. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's what should be shown in our life. And so we know, the, by the way, this chapter here, chapter 6, is this is where they chose deacons. This is what we commonly accept as the place where they instituted deacons in the local church. And today's churches often pick deacons differently than they did in the Bible. They'll pick men who are good businessmen or who have uh, maybe been very successful and are financially uh, successful. Nothing wrong with either one of those things. Those are great qualifications, but the qualifications in Scripture were a little bit different than some churches put on their deacons today. I'm grateful that we have deacons in our church who are who can fit these qualifications, not only qualifications of being smart in business, which 
Some of them are as well as that too. A sensible wisdom next. When they said, and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. They were to be wise and prudent men. Level-headed, competent in God's ways. The work of the church was and is too important to rely on those who take it lightly. We, we want people who are serious about the work of God, who recognize that it is a serious thing. I don't think it's a good thing to be a Sunday school teacher and start getting ready on Saturday night or on Sunday morning. I think they ought to be taking that a little more serious, amen? I can promise you that my study for Sunday morning doesn't start on Saturday night. Uh, you'll figure that out real fast if that happens because uh, it would be pretty shoddy. Uh, we want to put, we want to look at it seriously as God's calling. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. We need to take it seriously, God's calling on our life. The measure for godly wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is does a person fear God? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of people have business sense, book knowledge, street smarts. They don't fear God. Then, therefore, they do not qualify for his wisdom. According to Proverbs, fearing God is where wisdom is born. Knowing him is how wisdom is developed. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Moses, as he was dividing the responsibilities of God's work, was instructed to find this kind of man, Exodus 28.3, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Joshua was that kind of man. Deuteronomy 34.9, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of spirit and wisdom. We see then that the qualifications that the world puts on people are different sometimes than the qualifications we as a church body put on people. Uh, we want people who are excited about serving the Lord, who God is, uh, is, holds a valuable place in their life and who understand the seriousness of the local church. Uh, you've, I've said it often, but uh, our, our requirements to serve at Bible Baptist Church, are we only use fat people. I've said that many times, you understand. Fat, faithful, F, A, available, T, teachable. That's the kind of folks we want. Faithful, available, teachable. You didn't think I was talking about something else, did you? All right. Uh, that's the kind of folks we want to use. And that's the kind of folks I think that is laid out here. Those that are faithful to the work of God, those who are available to do it. If they're not available, can't use them. Amen. And then teachable. Teachable is so, so important. If you're not teachable, you won't be a good servant. You won't be a, you won't be a good leader if you're not teachable. Amen. That's part of it. Number three, teamwork produced divine results. Notice what happened as the story of teamwork unfolded here. Number one, their need was met. Apparently, the Hellenist Jews were completely satisfied with this arrangement. We never again hear of a complaint in this area or this department. When God's people work together in a humble, creative, biblical fashion, He will honor their efforts every time. Uh, needs will be met. Remedies will be found. The work of God is able to move forward. Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. When you have people, again, let me just touch a base, just as a reminder. I know we've talked much about this in the past, but unity, uh, to, when we talk about unity, is not that we sit down and hammer out and agree on every area. Uh, true biblical unity is where I'm in tune with God, you're in tune with God, 
And when we're both tuned to that standard, we're tuned to each other as well. We match that way. Unity should come from the Lord. It's actually a gift of God. So their need was met. Uh, their number was multiplied. A progression happens here in the language in the book of Acts as it talks about the growth of the early church. Earlier in the book, Luke, who is the author of the gospel of uh, the book of Acts, uh, earlier in, Luke, uh, in uh, Acts, Luke talked about how the use uh, added to describe when people were added to the church. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 talks about that. 3,000 people were added to the church. Uh, but here in chapter 6, you see a different word. The word multiplied is used. Uh, this transformation took place, I believe, as a result of teamwork. Now, which is better, addition or multiplication? Multiplication is a little bit better, isn't it? And they went from adding people to multiplying people, and I believe one of the reasons was a direct result of teamwork. When the first generation of disciples won folks to Christ, the church experienced additions. When those converts told others about the church, they experienced multiplication. This is where uh, what Paul had in mind for Timothy when he wrote to him about Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So I've taught you, now you teach others, and they'll teach others. You know, and let's use the math. If I teach one and he teaches two and he teach, each of those teach two, you know what I'm saying? It grows pretty fast uh, that way. This brings up a great question for all of us here this evening. Are you on the team at Bible Baptist Church? Are we part of the team? Uh, is there teamwork here? Or are you in the name of, uh, are you in team, insert your name. <laughs> Some people start that. Uh, I'm on team Yoder. There's no team Yoder here, okay? There's just a team Bible Baptist Church. That's what we want. If we have that, we have a problem, a big problem. We don't ever want to start different factions. And so at Bible Baptist Church, our desire is to make a difference in our town. It's the desire to make a difference in our state and beyond. And if we're to do so, we must be a team. We have no choice. Otherwise, there's going to be divisions. There's going to be schisms. And in a community where people are dying and going to hell, we do not rank personal feelings over the mission that God has placed in front of us. Now, sometimes... Sometimes people have a hard time accepting that. and Sometimes that has even been cause for separation, and I always regret that and never want that to be the case. But I do not want the mission of our church to be compromised with people's personal agendas. That includes me, amen? None of us need to put our personal agendas above the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get on a team working together to make a difference in our community, we give the gospel, we do not gossip. We show the love of Christ. We do not promote self. We restore relationships. We do not nurse bitternesses. So let me ask you, are you on the team? When we do this, the, the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. I love that verse. Now, we put different things at the end of that sometimes. But the Bible says, if we have love for one another, if we are a unified family body working together, that's going to promote the cause of Christ. And I love, love, love it when I hear from other sources good things about our church. And I do. In fact, this week uh, I had a gentleman come in and it was about something else. He was, uh, he was, it wasn't about church. It was about a, a political thing. He just wanted to drop something off. And 
I've met him before. He's never been to our church, but I'd met him. And uh, we, we were talking for a little bit. And uh, he said, I got to tell you, uh, I have been hearing uh, from some of my friends what God is doing in this church. And they've told me, I've got to come and, and hear, see what's going on here. And, you know, that's just music to my ears. I'm not looking to take anybody from their church. But I love it when I hear that, that people hear what God's doing at our church. That's a blessing, isn't it? That comes from a unified church body. I'd like it better than, boy, I read in the paper how the cops are called to your church the other night. That's not the kind of talk I want, amen? I want the other kind where they see that God's doing something. And uh, that's, the, that's my desire. I hope it is yours as well. Thank you, Father, for the picture we have here in Acts chapter 6. I pray, Lord, that we would use this to, to just to be as a, a good example to us and how we handle issues and how we always, always, always promote unity within ourselves, but ultimately we are promoting you, and we can't do that in a disunified way. So I pray, Lord, you'd help each one of us have the right desires, the right motives, and love for one another overall. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.